Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's now time to enter the sports zone with your host, Bob Kemp. Suns right now look gassed. Denver is energized. Bruce Brown. And we talk about the winning plays, the little things. Bruce Brown, a big addition to this team in the offseason. Good ball movement by Phoenix. Booker to KD. Back to Paul. Corner three. Misses. Tapped out by Jokic. Denver looking to push. Murray. The Detroit Lions have traded the sixth pick to the Arizona Cardinals. With the sixth pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Paris Johnson Jr., Ohio State. Second down and seven. Tune with time. Deep shot. Down the middle of the field. Wide open receiver. Touchdown, Houston! Matthew Golden on the reception, and Houston is back in front. Merrill coming off the 14-pitch fourth. Got Black in the wave at that one. Merrill Kelly has now struck out five, including three the last four. Just how ironic one of the worst road teams in the NBA during the regular season will have the biggest road win of the playoffs as Curry lays it up and in. Washington bullet stays. Brunson from deep left it short, and there's another one of those patented outlets. Butler slams it home, and Miami leads by four. Five seconds to shoot. Tatum sashes up Collins. He'll fire. Splash! Plenty of time for Stroud. Directing receivers. Flips it to the end zone. Caught! Touchdown! Marvin Harrison Jr. making a huge impact in the Buckeyes draw first blood, 31 yards. Finley's first throw, maybe. Nope, Will Anderson there, close to a safety. Another sack for number 31. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports own guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. And welcome to the Monday, May 1st edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD2 100.7, the Suns, will they win Game 2 at Denver? The Cardinals, do you approve of last week's draft approach? The Diamondbacks, what impressed you during the series win at Colorado? Back to the NBA playoffs. Are the Kings one-year wonders? Why did the Heat steal game one? And how do you handicap the Celtics in the Sixers series with Joe Embiid and his situation? Meanwhile, back to the NFL draft. How about some winners and losers, either team-wise or individually? And what else caught your eye since our last show? Here's today's schedule lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we have the introduction of today's pipeline. 9-15, one final look back at the NFL draft, unless we do one final look back 
tomorrow or Wednesday. <laughs> but we'll have a look back at the NFL draft. Brett Sobleski will join us from Bleacher Report. 9.30 will be interactive action at 602-260-1060 and also the local roundup. That will include uh, some Suns-Nuggets Game 1 analysis and time pending a uh, Diamondbacks-Rockies weekend series update. Meanwhile, the final segment of the Sports Zone will be the National Roundup, topped by the NBA uh, NBA scoreboard from Sunday, and also the latest line for the next few days in the NBA playoffs. Then after the Sports Zone, from 10 to noon, it's the extra point hosted by Kayla. That include plenty more on the Suns and the Nuggets, the Cardinals draft, and also the Diamondbacks and Rockies. On to the pipeline we go. Time for today's Pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. And today's question is, do the Suns win Game 2 at Denver? And Kayla is here and has the early returns. 67% is on the no side of things. Yes, trailing at 33%. The Suns were significantly outplayed during the majority of Saturday night's Game 1, 125-107 loss. And they need to do pretty much everything better tonight. In addition to the poll question, what one thing must the Suns do better to win tonight? Today's Twitter poll question, do you approve of the Cardinals' 2023 draft approach? And once again, Kayla has the early returns. Yes, leading the way, 81.8% of the vote, no trailing at 18.2%. You can find it over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. The Cardinals, as expected, traded down from the third pick. Then after some other wheeling and dealing, as it was called by Monty Austin Ford more than once over the weekend, he uh, accumulated 11 picks for the 2024 draft, including six over the first three rounds. Also, the Cardinals could and should get even more if they're going to trade Buda Baker and DeAndre Hopkins, which they should do before we get to training camp. We'll see how that goes. Meanwhile, on the local front, the Diamondbacks won two out of three over the weekend at Colorado. Merrill Kelly looked more like the 2023 version on Friday night, but fellow starting pitchers Tommy Henry and Ryan Nelson didn't do much to basically, let's say, instill confidence on Saturday and Sunday, respectively. What impressed you during the the Diamondbacks' weekend victory at uh, Denver's Coors Field? Spanning the globe, the Warriors won the Northern California Championship game on on, uh, Sunday. Seth Curry, uh, Steph Curry, scored uh, the most points ever in any Game 7 by any human being. He had 50. Kevon Looney had his third game in the series with at least 20 rebounds. So my question is, since we're saying goodbye to the Kings, were the Kings one-year wonders? Remember, they won the Pacific Division. They beat the Suns. They beat the Clippers. They beat the Warriors. So are they one-year wonders? Meanwhile, in the Eastern Conference, the Heat won Game 1 on Sunday on the road against the Knicks, while the Celtics and Sixers series begins tonight, apparently without the injured Joel Embiid. Now, I learned a long time ago, as far as the Sixers go and Embiid goes, I don't believe anything they or he says regarding his injuries. And I've got, if I wanted to go back and look and you know chronicle this, we've got a history of many times when they said he was not going to play and he did play and vice versa. So who the hell knows? I'm not 
you know, saying anything at this point. Just stating the the uh, general history, which is who knows. So, why did the Heat lose to the Knicks in Game One? Also, excuse me, why did the Heat beat the Knicks in Game One? I'm sorry. Uh, meanwhile, also, how do you handicap the Celtics and Sixers series with uh, Joel Embiid? Maybe going to miss at least the first game of this series, which appears we think to be the case. Meanwhile, the NFL draft ended on Saturday after 259 picks, including a record number of quarterbacks during the seven-round draft. So, how about some NFL draft winners and losers, either team-wise or individually? Also, in addition to all these excellent questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show? All right, that's the pipeline for today. We have all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational radio program. Anything else in your mind falls into the general discussion categories, whether it's from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. All right, coming up next, Corey, we'll have a news update. That'll be followed by NFL draft analysis. Brent Sobleski will join us from Bleacher Report. Hopefully, it's interesting that I, you know, my apartment complex, you don't know I'm doing my show with this show from home here, but uh, apparently they're dumping the trash out. I'm thinking to myself, they're dumping out the trash when I'm doing my, my pipeline introduction? This, that must be a coincidence. Anyway, hopefully... That didn't distract you too much in the background during the first segment of the show. All right, you're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLX HD 2 100.7 and KSLX HD 2 100.7. I just said that, didn't I? I'm distracted by the noise in the background. Sorry. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KS Lux HD 2 100.7, your home of the Dan Patrick Show, live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. Three days and 259 picks. Uh, we're done with the NFL draft as it concluded on uh, Saturday. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the Sports Zone by Brent Sobleski of Bleacher Report. And always good to have you on the show, Brent. We appreciate it. Let's start with the quarterbacks. Three quarterbacks in the top four picks and many, many quarterbacks over the three-day period. What stood out uh, during this quarterback-heavy draft to you? Well, I think with those top three, uh, when you see the way that they set up in this year's uh, order, I think they all landed in perfect situations. And maybe that would be cliche, but what was fascinating, at least to me, with this year's class was the fact of the matter that there was no clear-cut number one guy. I know ultimately Bryce Young emerged as Carolina's choice, and that's perfectly fine. They traded up. They went and got their guy who happens to be Bryce Young. But you can make strong arguments for C.J. Stroud, in fact, 
Bleacher Report scouting department had C.J. Stroud as our QB1. Furthermore, with Anthony Richardson in the Indianapolis Colts, his natural upside, his potential is as big or greater than anyone else in this year's class to, to where you could potentially see him as a top three to five quarterback in the NFL if he's developed properly in the right situation. So I look at this and I think these guys landed perfectly. They slotted how they should have. Carolina will, will fit very well with Bryce Young, with the surrounding cast they have, Frank Reich, Josh McCown on staff, C.J. Stroud. They'll expand what he was doing in college and, and really take advantage of the things we didn't see, which was his athleticism and his creativity, which didn't really appear until that, or until that playoff game against Georgia. And then finally with the Colts, with Richardson, you, you now have him with Shane Steichen, whose last two quarterbacks that he helped develop were Jalen Hurts and, oh, yeah, Justin Herbert when he broke the rookie record with touchdowns. So I think these are just ideal fits for all three, and I, I would argue easily that all three actually landed their QB1. Okay, so let, let's go to Colt, the Colts and Richardson. You know, Ursay had some interesting things to say over the weekend, which he probably does every weekend, but this was draft weekend. Uh, and he <laughs> talked about Richardson. So how soon do you think he might play? Week one. <laughs> some people might be aghast by me saying so, uh, so definitively. But in reality, when you look at Anthony Richardson, you really break him down. I know a lot of people like, 53.9% completion percentage, it might drop. Well, that gives you no context whatsoever or really an understanding of what his skill set is or the situation he was placed. So when you think about it, what you saw with him was outstanding pocket movement and just a feel for playing from the pocket, which a lot of people probably don't think because he's so athletic overall. But he was easily that as good as anyone in this class is playing within the pocket and really having a feel for pressure. Now, obviously, Bryce Young was better with the creativity, but Richardson really fills that, uh, fills that nicely and is further along than people give him credit. Even with his accuracy, there are so many instances where you can point to where there were drops or there is a system uh, failure overall. Now, yes, he has to improve his mechanics, and yes, he's got to get experience, and that's the key. That's why I say he should be starting from week one. His default setting isn't that he needs further development by sitting on the bench. The default setting should be put him in the lineup and let him learn, take your lumps early and watch how he improves, and he still gives you so much as a playmaker because of that athleticism, what he can add to the run game. Two running backs over the top 12 picks, uh, you know, Tucson product, Bijan Robinson, and also Jameer Gibbs. So Atlanta and Detroit, did they do the right thing? Well, Atlanta's fascinating, right? Because we've now gone three, three, not one, not two, three draft classes where they bypassed on a, a top available quarterback to select at another offensive skill position. You had Kyle Pitts instead of Justin Fields. You had Drake London instead of Kenny Pickett, albeit they probably would have had to trade down in that instance. Now you have Bijan Robinson, and while Will Evis slid into the end of the uh, or beginning of the second round, very well could have been a first-round selection along the way. So it really comes down to this selection, how good is Desmond Ritter? Are you putting enough talent around him for him to be successful? I think Bijan's phenomenal. I think he's the best running back prospect we've seen since Saquon Barkley. But at the same time, is he going to be enough when you already had the number one rushing attack in, uh, in the NFL, at least from an efficiency perspective? So I don't know if he changes your dynamic and your approach as much as he might have with another team. Brent Sobliski, Bleacher Report, curling in the sports. Um, 
Okay, we had a run of four consecutive wide receivers start at number 20. Which wide receiver do you think of that group will have the biggest impact in 2023? Well, my favorite fits Dave Flowers with the Baltimore Ravens. He might not put as big in numbers because obviously that's you're going to have a run-based portion that's built around Lamar Jackson and what they do in that regard. But the juice that he brings, the explosivity, just to improve the Ravens' uh, passing game in general with alongside the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. and a healthy Rashad Bateman makes them far more dynamic. And I think that's important for what they really lacked the last few years with Greg Roman as their offensive coordinator, who's now stepped away and Todd Munkin's taken in. So I absolutely love that selection. I mean, it's, it, we can go the easy route and discuss Jackson Smith and Jigma with Seattle. I mean, first wide receiver to come off the board, and he's going to a situation where he gets to play a long guy, Tyler Lockett, and DK Metcalf. So you should expect big things there. But I really feel that Dave Flowers could be the biggest difference maker among those four based on situation and what he brings to that, his specific team. The NFC West, let's start with the Cardinals. They added Paris Johnson in the first round. They now have 11 picks in the 2024 draft, including six over the first three rounds. So, uh, what did you think of Monty Austin Fort? Uh, did he have the right plan last week in his first uh, draft as a GM? Absolutely. I thought he definitely uh, really manipulated the board to his advantage. That's something that Ozzie Newsom used to talk about all the time really moving up and down and back and forth. That way you can find and target the guys you like, but also gaining assets along the way or utilizing ones into your favor. So we all knew going into this draft class that number three overall wasn't just for sale. It was a fire sale that there was no way <laughs> the Arizona Cardinals wanted to stay with a third overall pick. So you move down and you, you gain those, uh, those special assets, as we stated, and then utilize it by moving back, some of them, but not all of them, by moving back up and getting the guy that you had targeted all along, which is Paris Johnson Jr., which I think is important because, one, he's the top-rated offensive tackle in the class, and, two, you're making Kyler Murray happy. <laughs> and as we well know, in the NFL, you need to keep your quarterback happy at all times. But it, that draft class was beyond that initial manipulation that uh, Austin Ford did so well. I think they got great values. If you're looking at B.J. Ojolari at 41, we had him as a top 25 pick. You get him in the second round. Garrett Williams probably would have been much higher in this conversation if he didn't have a knee injury during his final year on campus. Michael Wilson's a guy that a lot of people overlook to a degree because he had an injury history, and plus Stanford's been so Jekyll and Hyde the last few years. But I knew within league circles he was very well-liked because of his route running his and uh, his composure and his build. John Gaines, highly athletic guard in the fourth round, playing multiple positions. And then the other guy I will bring up just from a straight value perspective was Owen Papo uh, in the fifth round. When you look at where, what type of linebacker he is, I think we had him in the third round, or excuse me, 78th overall. So, yes, in the third round. But you're you're getting him in the fifth. And, and I think that's fantastic because of how athletic he is. And he, he's a natural linebacker, which isn't has always been the case with some of the guys the Cardinals have selected in recent years. All right, staying in the division, uh, the Seahawks seem to take advantage. They had uh, a lot of early round, uh, early round selections here. So, what do you think? Uh, you know, John Schneider slash Pete Carroll, uh, their approach and their picks. Well, I mean, if they can get anything close to what they got a year ago, it's going to be another home run. It was, last year was one of the best classes we've seen in the last decade. It was unbelievable, not just with both the starting tackles, but Tyreek Woolen and Kobe Bryant and Kenneth Walker. Just unbelievable effort drafting-wise. And I think this year's class can be similar. Maybe not as good because that was almost historically good. But at the same time, Devin Witherspoon, 
who you benefit from the Russell Wilson trade. He was cornerback number one in this year's class, so he steps in. Now you have bookends with Tyreek and Weatherspoon and Kobe Bryant playing over the slot. I think that's just phenomenal and gives you, not exactly, but a, you know, a lighthearted Legion of Boom vibes overall. Smith and Jigma, as I stated earlier, wide receiver one, so you can't necessarily go wrong there. It's a good value and a guy that probably would have went higher if he didn't deal with the hamstring all last year. Zach Charbonnet is really the interesting one. I know I skipped Derek Hall, but that's just more pass rush. Charbonnet, I think, is fascinating because you have Walker as a rookie, right, and 1,000 yards, and Charbonnet is one of the most physical runners in this year's class. So what what are the Seahawks doing? And to me, they're going back to basics, right? I mentioned Legion of Boom Light. Now you have mm-hmm. Walker and Charbonnet in the backfield. Now, granted, they're not Marshawn Lynch sing- from a singular perspective, but you can get that type of production from the duo themselves. So it shows me the Seahawks looked at it and said, you know, we tried to let Russ cook. It didn't work. We moved on. Let's get back to what made us successful in the first place. And I think they're really building it in a manner where they can be not maybe a Super Bowl contender, but still a very good team. Talking NFL and NFL draft with Brent Sobleski. All right, the Eagles last season, I actually thought they had the most good players of any team. Uh, they added more studs, <laughs> it seems like, in the draft and, and tra- via trade. Uh, so were the Eagles the, the biggest draft week winner here? If you were in the state of Pennsylvania, you were a draft winner. That's, <laughs> that's the way I'm looking at it because I think Philadelphia and Pittsburgh just absolutely crushed it and almost – Pretty much every single selection they had with Philadelphia, obviously. You start by getting Jalen Carter at number nine, okay? Yes, you traded up one pick, but at the same time, this is someone who a few months ago we're discussing as the potential number one overall pick based purely on talent. So if he can step in, you place him next to Jordan Davis. We know how dynamic that duo can be because we saw him together with the Georgia Bulldogs. And then you continue that Bulldog pipeline. And you know what? I think it's a pretty smart approach to continually select players from back-to-back national champions because they're that good. <laughs> and so when you get a Nolan Smith at 30, you just shake your head for anyone else following other teams around the league because Smith is so explosive. 4-3-9, 40-yard dash off the edge, a relentless motor, great leader, a little undersized, but utilize him like Hassan Reddick. You just get these guys round after round. You go to Tyler Steen, Sidney Brown, Keely Ringo. Those three I can all see uh, – uh, contributing as rookies or at least very early in their career. So I look at them and think, man, they just absolutely crush it. But I also want to give some love to the Steelers, as I stated. I mean, you, you go and get and not only get your left tackle of the future, because Dan Moore Jr. has kind of been a replacement-level player the last two years, but you jump ahead of the Jets so you get Broderick Jones so he can insert immediately on Kenny Pickett's blind side. Who would have believed Joey Porter Jr., of all people, would have been there for, for them at number 32? Not only is he a legacy, but he's a tarantula on the outside with 34-inch arms and with the stickiness to cover top wide receivers. So you've got him learning from Patrick Peterson. Keanu Benton, in the later in the second round, I think could be a day-one starter at nose tackle. And then furthermore, the icing on the cake, uh, at least from a day-one per day-two perspective, was Darnell Washington, six foot, almost six foot seven, 263, 64 pounds, just unbelievable size and athleticism that you now pair with Pat Fryermuth. Just talk about the 12 personnel packages you can utilize and really make life easy on Kenny Pickett. I think Pittsburgh just crushed it. 
Okay, so you know, we've I brought up a few teams. You brought up or added Pittsburgh. So is there a team here that we haven't discussed that you think uh, had a good week as far as the draft goes? I think one of the fun ones were the Indianapolis Colts, and because of their approach, for anyone that watch or kind of pays attention uh, to some of the advanced metrics when it comes to the NFL draft. There's a thing out there, and I'll give total credit to Pro Football Network's Kentley Platt and anyone who follows Math Bomb on Twitter. If you don't, please do. He's very good at what he does. But he has this formula called RAS. It's Relative Athletic Score, right? And it goes back. It's a database he has that's been built over 35 years to compare and contrast athletes coming into the NFL based on position and body types. So it tells you and relative how they are athletically to every guy that's ever played the position that's come in over the last 36 years. So Anthony Richardson, the most athletic quarterback we've ever seen in 36 years. That's not even being hyperbolic. That's actually on the scale <laughs> that he put together. Julius Brents was – now this scale goes to 10. Julius Brents was just under a 10 with a six, you know, six foot three, another tarantula at cornerback. Josh Downs over a 9. Blake Freeland was almost a 10. Uh, Adetomuia Adebowale was a 9.8. You know, Darius Rush was like a 9.6, 9.7. So just the raw athleticism and potential the Colts put together was absolutely staggering. Okay, so the opposite of what we've been talking about, basically, would be some teams that maybe left you scratching your head, like, what are they doing here? <laughs> I don't want to tear them down because I know a lot of people were upset. I, I, for those who know, I, each year for Bleach Report, I serve as the person grading every single pick in real time, okay? Now, keep that in mind. I'm literally doing it as the picks are coming through. So I'm, it's my re- automatic gut reaction and, and explaining myself. And the first one, the team that – the only team that re- received an F the entire week. I, I feel like we don't have enough chutzpah to really use the entire grading scale. Everyone always wants to put A's and B's and maybe C's. Now, I try to use the entire grading scale. And the only F I gave out this year was Washington in the first round with Emmanuel Forbes. And I'm not trying to downplay the player that Emmanuel Forbes is. Uh, he's, you know, uh, I think he was first in college football last year in interceptions with six, or at least tied for it, uh, top four or five in uh, passes defended. Obviously, great ball skills. And they needed cornerback help. They were top five in pass defense, but they actually, from a talent perspective, they needed an upgrade. With that said, when you look at Forbes, he's a 166 to 170 pound cornerback on a six foot one frame. He's very skinny, and he plays a physical brand of football. So how is he going to hold up at the next level, right? And then, furthermore, you you pass on a quarterback again. We, whatever you want to say about Will Levis, I don't think people denied his actual potential and just raw throwing ability. But you are, as an organization, made the decision. We're going to make Sam Howell our QB1. He's played one game in the NFL. That's it. One game. And he was a fifth-round pick. Why are you guaranteeing him anything? If anything, you should be looking at this as an opportunity that if their guy fell in your lap, that you would you would take, take the chance on him and really try to upgrade the game's most important position. But they didn't. And so I think when you take those factors under consideration, even though they did a solid uh, day two, day three uh, draft overall, to me that top of Washington's draft really kind of spoiled it for me. Okay, last up. Uh, Last week, uh, Aaron Rodgers finally traded. Lamar Jackson finally signed. 
So what are some of the remaining off-season storylines we should be following in the next few weeks here? <laughs> Bob, I've already turned the page. I've already done a 2024 mock draft. <laughs> so I'm, I'm way ahead of you, my friend. But looking at it, you know, you, you want to see how some of these – uh, some of the franchise tags settle out over the next few weeks, specifically something like Saquon Barkley um, because of the Giants getting Daniel Jones done. Is he going to sign long-term, or is it going to be a situation where uh, where that it's a one-and-done and he's gone? And, you know, I look at certain quarterback situations. I want to see ultimately what happens in Minnesota. And Kirk Cousins, you have one year left, right? I want to see how things develop for Kyler Murray and how he deals with a brand-new general manager and coaching staff. And if you're not good next year, are you considering the likes of Caleb Williams or Drake May? So there's a lot to play out over the next few months going into the season. I think will be fascinating, specifically at quarterback. But I, 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 with those you mentioned, I, it's essentially what we all expected. We expected Rodgers to end up with the Jets. We expected Lamar Jackson back in Baltimore. So those weren't huge differentiators. They were just confirmations. And now it's time to figure out just a few of those the straggling ends as, as the off season continues, and we start getting into OTAs and camp, early camp, rookie camps, and so on and so forth. All right, Brent, appreciate the time. We uh, thanks much, and uh, we'll be checking back, I'm sure, uh, before we uh, get to like training camp and things and things like that. So thanks a lot. Got you. Next week we're going to doing the 2024 mock draft. I got you. I'm picking up what you're throwing down. <laughs> yeah, okay. Be, be sure to email that to me uh, my way. And uh, okay. I'm, a, I'm, a little, I'm a little burned out. I can't. God bless you. You're you're not, but you're getting paid to, not to be burned out. So good for you. Yeah. All right, Bob. You have a good one. Thank you. Okay, Brent Sobleski, Bleacher Report, and uh, check out that 2024 mock draft. All right, there we go. Um, I don't even have a smart remark for that. Usually I have a smart remark for pretty much everything, but I don't for that. All right, next segment, phone call time. If you want to get in general discussion, 602-260-1060. Also, today's local roundup. I will definitely get to some Suns and the Nuggets from Saturday night. Of course, they play game two tonight in Denver. Uh, time pending, we'll get to a little bit on the uh, – the uh, Diamondbacks weekend in Colorado. If we don't get to that, we'll certainly get to it during the extra point. Hosted by Kayla, which is from 10 to noon. So stay tuned for that after we get done with another half hour or so. I guess like 23 minutes of a tremendous radio programming called The Sports Zone uh, with Bob Kemp. I don't think it's exactly called The Sports Zone with Bob Kemp, but it's The Sports Zone. I'm the host, Bob Kemp. Right here on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7. Extra Point with local and national topics, betting lines, and banter. Weekdays 10 to noon on KTUS AM 1060, KTUS1060.com, and the KTUS 1060 app. It's time for today's local roundup. We're back to the Sports Hour Pop Cup on KTUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7. In addition to the local roundup, phone call time 602 260 1060 to the KTUS hotline. Let's get to a little bit from the Suns from the weekend. And uh, if the Suns, uh, let's let's put it this way, they have little chance of winning the series against the Nuggets if their starters are outplayed. That happened Saturday night to the Suns. 
If they get whipped on the boards, that happens Saturday night to the Suns. And if Monty Williams continues to play his bench too many minutes, then that also happened on Saturday night. Many worldwide odds makers got crushed in this game one on uh, Saturday. The Suns actually went from two and a half point underdogs to four and a half, even some fives out there by tip off on Saturday night. The Suns starters outscored 102 to 83. The Suns were out rebounded 49 to 38. The Suns were minus seven in turnover differential. The uh, poor rebounding and the excessive turnovers meant that the Nuggets had 17 more field goal attempts than the Suns did. The bench, 9 out of 18 field goal attempts. They made four free throws. Josh Akogi, who inexplicably started, not surprisingly, was awful. Two points, two rebounds, and uh, he was minus 11 in the plus-minus in 19 minutes. Individually, Kevin Durant did finish with 29 points. He had uh, uh, 15 of those in the uh, first quarter, 14 the rest of the game. But Durant, he was efficient shooting, 11 for 15 from two-point range, one out of three from behind the arc. Had made all four free throw attempts, but only four. But worse than anything, he had seven turnovers and one assist. His plus-minus was uh, not misleading. It was minus 20 for the game. The Suns did start well in this game. That's something that we uh, didn't see very often against the Clippers. The Suns led 32-31 at the end of the first quarter. They got outscored 37-19 in the second quarter. That uh, that was a 12-minute stretch that they were unable to overcome. The Suns bench had a ton to do with the second quarter collapse, especially the 18-9 Nuggets run to begin the second quarter. Three bench players, for the most part, were on the floor during that stretch. And as we said throughout the Clippers series, Bonnie Williams needs to play his starters 40-plus minutes to have a chance to win in this particular series. The bottom line, maybe the Suns witnessed why the Nuggets were the top seed in the West for the last 105 days of the regular season. Game two tonight is at Denver. I'll have more on that momentarily. All right, Alan Phoenix, what's going on, Al? Well, hey, you were looking for losers in the draft. How about Will Levis? Well, yeah, even uh, I I think that's a good answer. Um, I obviously am not a Will Levis fan. I didn't quite understand what was going on. I know he had the foot thing. Apparently, the well, apparently the foot injury, uh, you know, definitely downgraded him. Apparently, some teams just completely red flagged him because of this injury. I also had the shoulder thing during the season, uh, but um, yeah, I know, and I talked about this some too. You know, two years ago, I think I, I could make a case that Kentucky had the best offensive line in college football. Robinson was a draft pick, the wide receiver ended up going to the Giants, and uh, yeah, Levis didn't have any of that going for him this past year. Uh, but you know, he doesn't make others better. Those around him, you know, made him look good, in my opinion. So I wasn't uh, – I got. I was surprised because, you know, all the draft prognosticators had him going, yeah. as, you know, in the first round as high as number four. But, you know, it's uh, – I think he actually ended up in a good place for him. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, that's uh, – but the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the offensive line has to get better. Or, you know, we've, we've seen him with a tremendous college offensive line and without a college offensive line. And there's been, there was a big difference between those two years. 
I like what Pittsburgh did. I was surprised, you know, Joey Porter Jr. dropped to the to the second round. But I think you said on the show that he didn't have many interceptions because no one would throw to him on that side. Uh, well, well that was part it was... of it. I mean, he had he had one interception, but it, it, when he did play teams with good receivers, uh, for instance, Ohio State his last two years, he got torched. Uh, in fact, he got targeted last year by Ohio State. They went after him. Uh, so um, I wasn't really that – I would mention this before the draft is that I thought he was overrated because when they did play good uh, good teams, uh, you know, there's not many receivers in the Big Ten, quite frankly, that are good. Uh, and actually, just off the top of my head – you know, two of the three best receivers going into last season, the Big Ten, were injured and barely played last year. And they you know, and they played both those teams. They played Minnesota and they also played Ohio State. Uh, so I'm not sure how much he was tested. Also, I was really surprised that Pittsburgh held on to that pick. I think that they that's the only thing I really kind of uh, differed with what they did as far as the draft goes. Uh, you know, they had an opportunity, the first pick of the second day, I uh, can't imagine. I'm sure they had all kinds of offers, but uh, they decided to keep him. I wonder how much the legacy thing for his with his dad and so forth played a role in them keeping that pick and selecting him. And then, yeah, you know, I like the, the Cardinals' moves, but we'll have to see how these picks pan out. A lot of times, with when Kime made picks, it seemed like they were good on the surface, and then they would a lot of times bust out. So uh, I think the you know it'll be interesting to see if the the new the new regime is uh, better than the old regime. Yeah, I, I'd kind of go both ways with you on that. I, yeah, I don't remember too many years I came back on a Monday after the draft and said Steve Kime hit a home run here. <laughs> uh, it seemed like there were more years than not that I just didn't wonder what the hell they were doing. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, he was a uh, you know, Kime, and you know many other GMs do this too. We saw some of it over the weekend. A lot of guy, a lot of teams go for leadership, and you know guys that were captains. And it's uh, you know, the thing that we kind of was a running joke um, was that the the number of uh, players that Kime drafted that were team captains elsewhere that almost seemed to be the top priority as opposed to <laughs> yeah. you know, upside talent. and need and things like that. Yeah, talent. That's good. That's a good one. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, so um, yeah, I think that Austin Fort maneuvered the draft really well. Let's put it that way. Now they just have to find some players, and they need a ton of players. And let's say, are you looking forward to another Steph-LeBron uh, matchup? I mean, I, was, I kind of like the way sure. it felt. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, and that game that Steph had, my God, that was, uh, that was an amazing uh, performance. I don't know where that ranks, but that was a great one. Well, where it ranks is nobody's ever done that in the game seven in the history of the NBA. Yeah, when he, he sometimes I wonder if he almost he has to almost do that to get that team to, to win. But I mean, uh, they're going to have well, a home court advantage. So I mean, that uh, I yeah. think that's helpful. I was shocked that they didn't double team him more. Um, he was shocked that they didn't double team him more. He even mentioned in the post game he had thirty eight field goal attempts. And he did, you know, somebody, you know, I forgot how they phrased it, but somebody asked him if he was kind of, that was kind of the plan. And he was, didn't come out and say, I think because of his, uh, he likes Mike Brown, as obviously all the Warriors do, having him as an assistant coach, coach for several years. But he didn't say, he came come out and say, I was shocked, shocked that they just kind of let me go. 
But yeah, they certainly talked on the television broadcast during the game that they just kept looking. He got to the basket a lot. Uh, it wasn't you know 38 shots and they weren't all threes. I mean, he got to the rim a ton of times. And uh, you know, I don't quite understand coaches. Monty Williams is one of these. He hates the double team. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't understand why you don't get the ball out of his hands, especially after he's got like 30, he's got like 30 in the first half. And finally, I have reservations so. about Sacramento coming back. That's a hard place to, to have a – they haven't had really sustained success. And I I think that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of a one-time thing. But it's, Okay. Well, my thing is with the, with the Kings, I don't really care about Sacramento as far as, you know, <laughs> a tough place. But the fact is that, you know, they won a division – in a year where the Suns didn't figure it out till I'm not sure they figured it out quite yet, to be honest. The Clippers had all these injuries, and the Warriors didn't guard anybody for most of the season until, like, the last two games in Sacramento. All right, all right. Al, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, next segment, we'll wrap up the Sports Zone for today. We'll get to some national roundups, some basketball from yesterday, including that Warriors game. We'll point out a couple of things. We'll get to some NBA Uh, Point spreads looking ahead, including uh, tonight's games, Philadelphia and Boston, and the Suns in Denver. We'll look at the latest numbers here during the break and give you those numbers when we come back. Extra Point upcoming, hosted by Kayla from 10 to noon, so stay tuned for that also right here on KDUSAM 1060 and Castle XHD2 100.7. Check out KDUSAM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7, channel number two. It's time for today's National Roundup. We're back, Final 7, today's Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7. And from the scoreboard, the Warriors, well, they're champs in Sacramento. They just can't get over the hump. Steph uh, Steph Curry, 50 points, the most ever by any player ever in a Game 7. Kayvon Looney finished with 20-plus rebounds for the third time this series, something nobody's done in the postseason in one series since 2008. And DeMontis Sabonis, his poor playoff history continued. He had a good first half. He was the halftime interview uh, of Lisa Salters, and then he had six points which were pretty worthless in the really the decisive second half. The Warriors have been known for their many great third quarters during this championship run. Uh, they trailed 50, uh, 58-56 at halftime yesterday, but then they outscored the Kings 35-23 during the game-changing third quarter. For the game, the Warriors also took care of the ball. That, they don't always do that. They finished with just seven turnovers. Uh, also, Curry... 50 points and one turnover, which is quite a ratio. Meanwhile, the Kings, the highest-scoring team in the NBA during the regular season, they had two fast-break points for the entire game. Two. The Warriors, they were 11-30 and 30 on the road during the regular season. They end up winning the last two games in the series that was the two games that were played in Sacramento in games five and seven. Meanwhile, the Heat dominated the second half to win game one at MSG. And the Heat four-point underdogs dominated the second half one by seven. They outscored the Knicks 48 to uh, 58, excuse me, 58-46 in the second half, 31 to 20 in the decisive third quarter. 
It was 95-92, and Jimmy Butler turned an ankle. He remained in the game, but he was strictly a decoy. And then the Heat offense went through Kyle Lowry and Bam Adebayo for the rest of the game. Uh, you know, the Heat finished also with 22 points after 13 off of the uh, 13 Knicks turnovers. 13 turnovers is not atrocious, but they did get 22 points off of those. Julius Randle did not play uh, for the Knicks. The Heat, obviously, without Tyler Hero for this series, and Victor Oladipo is out for the rest of the season and the start of next year because of injury. All right, so tonight, Philadelphia and Boston were not expecting Joel Embiid. Uh, the uh, Celtics opened for six and a half way back on a Friday night after they eliminated the Hawks. They've gone from six and a half point favorites to ten and a half. There's some 11s out there this morning worldwide, in fact. The total in this game is sitting at 214. And then the second game tonight, Phoenix against Denver. This game opened four and a half, pretty much four and a half worldwide at this point. There are a couple of fours out there, at least in the state of Nevada, including at Circa. Total in this game, 228 and a half down to 227 and a half as far as kind of a consensus number. Uh, tomorrow night, game two, Miami and New York. Uh, some suggesting that uh, the, basically Miami should sit Jimmy Butler in this game. Uh, the Knicks open a five-point favorite up to six and a half. And then also game two tomorrow night uh, for, the, uh, for the television viewers. But game one of the series of the Western Conference semis. Golden State opened a four-point home favorite in game one against the Lakers. That's up to four and a half. Also, uh, I think I covered all the injury stuff. I did. I covered all the injury stuff. All right, that's it for the Sports Zone for today. Stay tuned. Two more hours of uh, local programming. Kayla hosting the Extra Point. I'll get to hang around and try to contribute some. Yeah, this has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Kiss Lux HD 2 100.7.